0: Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Cardevera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. I am thrilled today to have my good friend, Tommy Spalding with us. This is episode number 21, and the title of today's episode is, Put Your Whole Heart In, Achieving Unprecedented Results Through Servant Leadership. Tommy is an international speaker, coach, author, and leadership thought leader, and a good friend of mine, and today he is talking about it, you got it, heart-led leadership, which to him is also about servant leadership. Most important, Tommy is going to share with us the key role that vulnerability and sharing our stories with others plays in building powerful cultures, and most importantly, organizations that achieve unprecedented results. Always speaking from his heart, Tommy is going to share with us today the essential role that love and service plays in business and leadership. So get ready to open your heart and expand your impact. I don't know if it's possible for me to be more excited than I am today because today we have one of my dearest friends, Tommy Spaulding, with us. I've not known Tommy that long, maybe five or six years. And without giving too much away, I met Tommy the way we meet all great people by stalking him. (laughs) (laughs) And I I tell that story a lot to people in the world, and they look at me and say, Really? I said, No, really, because I, I listened to Tommy's first book, It's Not Just Who You Know. And I felt such a connection. I said, I have to meet him. And I did stalk him. I stalked his website to see where he was speaking, found out he was speaking in Greensboro, North Carolina, at their annual chamber meeting. I showed up an hour early, grabbed him in the hall. And I remember walking up to Tommy and saying, Mr. Spaulding, I'm Jeff Nishwitz. And his first response was, Mr. Spaulding's my dad. I'm (laughs) Tom." I said, I'm your stalker tonight. His eyes got a little big, and I explained it, and 10 minutes later, he gave me his card and his cell number and said, call me, and that led to a coffee in Denver, Colorado, which led to an invitation to his annual leadership retreat that led to one of my most precious friendships on this planet.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so I am, I'm deeply grateful for Tommy to be here. Tommy's an amazing speaker, author, relationship builder, and the word I'll use for him is he's an impactor. He creates impact in everything he does, and every, every life he interacts with, he creates some change and some impact. So His other book is The Heart Led Leader, and I know he's also created an amazing foundation for youth and leadership called the National Leadership Academy. We'll hear more about his story, but I'm just so excited to jump in, and so welcome, and thanks for being here, Tommy.
3: Yeah, great to have you. So is this session on the power of positive stalking? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but that could be my next blog.
3: No, but Jess is crazy. That's how I met my wife. I, I stalked her. I <laughs> fell in love with her and she wanted nothing to do with me. And I called her 20 times till she said yes.
2: So
3: I stalking is not stalking. It's just, you know, not taking no for an answer.
0: It's committed. <laughs> it's committed. The to Tommy. Tell us a little bit of the Tommy Spaulding story for our audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I struggled in high school.
3: I never thought in a million years that I'd be writing best selling books on leadership <laughs> because I can't even read best selling books, let alone write them. I'm totally dyslexic and struggled academically. I literally graduated high school with a 2.0 GPA, and I graduated college with a 2.0 GPA. And I love to tell people I graduated the 4.0. If he took the to high school and college <laughs> together, you know. Um, and I just grew up humble. My parents were school teachers. I never traveled. Um, never left New York. Um, I was a good kid. I was an altar boy. I was an Eagle Scout. I was class president. I just couldn't read. And my guidance counselor told me when I graduated high school that I shouldn't go to college because of my GPA, and my SAT score, and my class rank and my learning challenges. So he recommended I went to trade school, which is called BOCES, which is a, you know, electrician, carpentry, plumbing in upstate New York. And then a month before I graduated high school, this international musical group called Up With People came to my high school, and that's the program that really changed my life. It took me out of New York and took me to eighty-three countries, eighty-three wow. countries, and a wow. thousand host families. And twenty-five years later, I became the CEO and president of Up With People, and it really shaped my heart about servant leadership.
2: Hmm.
3: I finally went to college and got all the degrees, business degrees, all that kind of stuff. But I'm not really proud of my academic achievements. <laughs> I'm more proud of the, how I love and serve people. Hmm. It's kind of my PhD in, in loving people.
1: So that's much more important anyway. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Cheaper too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm not going to do the whole story. I'm going to tell everybody to go out and get Tommy's first book. It's not just who you know. I don't think the story is in your second book, Tommy, about your scholarship experience. Was that the Rotary?
3: Yeah, it was. Good memory.
0: Yeah. I mean, that story is one that I think every person on the planet needs to read Mm. because that story alone, I think you read the story and you're just done. You don't need any more lessons. It's kind of like, I forget, Mm. uh, there's a movie line that just hit me. Uh, I think it was from The Untouchables. Yeah. Thus endeth the lesson. Yeah. That story... (laughs) It, it's really the story of Tommy Spaulding and of life and leadership and, and love and service and relationship. So go get the book, read the story, mm-hmm. and your life will be changed.
3: Jeff, the funny story about that story is, is that maybe all our careers and our lives start with a story because when I met with the, my publisher, Michael Pelagon, at Rand, Random House, my good friend and mentor, Steve Farber, introduced me to him. And we're in Boston at a, you know, having a beer, and I'm looking across. The guy that runs, you know, all of Random House, you know, books and leadership, and a powerhouse legend in the business. And I shared him that story, the bartender rotary story, the story that you're talking about. And he, at the end, he was crying. And then on napkin, we wrote a deal, and I got a book deal.
2: <laughs>
3: I, I didn't write a proposal. I didn't do anything. Like the magic of storytelling. Just I told the story, and he said, "You got a deal." And it was it wow. was changed my it changed my life.
0: Gosh. Well, you've already given us a glimpse, Tommy, because you immediately started talking about service and love. Mm -hmm. You and I have had this conversation a number of times. I know we both see it very similarly, if not the same, that that's the secret sauce. Mm -hmm. And in business, too. And we also know that it's rarely part of the conversation in business. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about how you see the importance of bringing love and service into a conversation about business and leadership
3: if I had to sum up my entire life's work I'm now 50 years old and I ran up with people in the last 12 years I've been writing books and researching leadership and travel the world learning about leadership if I had to really sum up my entire learnings it really is a simple thing Jeff every leader needs to make a decision about what kind of leader they want to be uh, do they want to be a self-serving leader hmm. or they want to be a servant leader? I call yeah. servant leader, heart led leaders, but you can call them servant leaders, leading with love, leading with others. But bottom line is that there's a choice. Do you want to serve others before yourself and be a, a servant leader? Or do you want to be a self-serving leader and serve yourself first and then others? Hmm. And the reality is, that this statistic really wakes a lot of people up, that I really believe about 90% of the world, 90% of the leaders are self-serving leaders. Right. And it doesn't mean that they're assholes or jerks. It just means that they serve themselves first and then others. And it's really, really hard to be a servant leader, to be that top 10%, to be a hard lad leader. It's hard because you have to put others first because when you wake up, we're always thinking about us and ourselves and and our needs and to live a life where you don't put your needs before, you know, you put the needs of others before yourself is, is hard, but if you choose that path, Jeff and Craig, if you choose that path, you'll have unprecedented results in your business, mm. but you'll just have incredible, genuine lifelong friendships and you'll just have an incredible ride yeah. uh, rather, rather than just taking care of yourself.
1: Now, what would you say about the difference between serving others first, but what about self-care? How does that fit into the mix? Because at some point, we need to be taking care of ourselves well enough that we can take care of others.
3: Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, that's a great point, Craig. I mean, self-care is not even a part of the conversation because like, when the plane goes down, it always says, you know, get your, <laughs> your, 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 your air first and then second. And I just never believed that because when the plane goes down, I'm making sure my wife and my kids have the air. But if you don't take care of yourself, you can't serve other people. If you're yeah. dead and if you're 20 pounds overweight or if you're an alcoholic <laughs> or if you have a terrible marriage, you're not gonna be able to love and serve people. So self-care is a, is, a, is a given. But at the end of the day, the choice that leaders have to make is what kind of leader am I gonna be? Mm-hmm. And if you choose to be a heart-led leader, it's a really hard road. And uh, it takes unbelievable commitment to live that out in an authentic way.
0: But so let's talk about why it's so hard, Tommy. I agree yeah. with you on the percentage. I might even think it's lower. Mm-hmm. And because I see most leaders are very self-focused and mm-hmm. a lot of them don't even realize it. <laughs> yeah. But the, the, I think most people would see the powerful impact from it and those good outcomes. What makes it so hard? Because there's one voice in my head that said, that's more natural. <laughs> yeah. Well, before I answer that,
3: you, you you just mentioned something, Jeff, that was really spot on. You said most leaders, most self-serving leaders, the ninety percent, they don't even realize it. You, you were just nailed it, Jeff. Because when I've been, when I work with because I coach a lot of Fortune five hundred CEOs, and and I ask them, you know, do you think you're a self-serving leader or a servant leader? And in twenty years of this business, I've never had anybody ever say to me, you know, Tommy, I'm a self-serving leader. <laughs> so I mean, so basically the, the 90% of the people call themselves servant leaders, but yet only 10% really are. So the people that, that actually call themselves servant leaders, but actually are self-serving leaders, I would say to them, okay, if you want uh, to you be. You be a servant leader, that's your choice. You get to decide which one you want to be. If you want to be a servant leader, that's your choice. And most people decide that that's what they want to be, but you don't get to decide which one you actually become. Mm. And when I first heard that years ago, that, that's what got me in my heart saying, I want to spend the rest of my life in this, in this stuff, because yeah. who decides if you want to become a servant leader, but you don't have to decide which one you become, who does your wife, your husband, your children, your employees, your customers, your clients your friends, your neighbors, they decide. And so, you know, a leader can think they're a servant leader, but you interview their people Mm -hmm. and they, and it's hugely a huge disconnect. And and that's what's so incredible about this work is that um, self-actualization is so important and most self-serving leaders don't even know they are self-serving leaders.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm with you on that, Tommy. That's absolutely my experience. And I bring that up a lot that, People just, like you said, no one's ever said to me, well, I'm totally about me. I'm totally self. Yeah. I'm serving myself. They never think that. But once you wake them up, so to speak, and if they're Mm -hmm. genuinely committed to choosing servant leadership, it's still hard. What are the big obstacles that get in their way? And how do you help leaders get through that?
3: Yeah. Well, the ego, that's what's hard because- You, you might say, I wanna be a servant leader, but your ego tells you that you want the recognition, that you want uh-huh. the credit, that you want the corner office, that you want the first cup of coffee, that you want, that, that, that they want the ego. And so when people ask me, uh, Jeff and Craig, okay, you've written all these books on leadership, what's the most important quality of a leader? I mean, you'll get 300 answers from 300 people, but I'll tell you my answer. Well, hands down, it's, it's humility. I mean, you cannot serve others until you have a deep sense of humility of who you are. And what I've learned about humility over the years is humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of (laughs) yourself less often. And so what I believe the most beautiful magic of leadership is when you take confidence and humility and you bring them together. A lot of people think that humility means, oh, I'm not really good. I, I, you know, my books aren't really good. Like, I'm not a very good speaker. Like, it's like downplaying compliments. Like, I mean, you want to be confident. You want to know who you are, but mm-hmm. then have a deep sense of humility. And unfortunately, back to the nine to 10 rule, only 10% of people actually believe that and actually live that. Mm-hmm. The other 90%, the more success that you have, and I'm drawing a line straight in the air, the, the more success you have in your life, the more arrogant you become, and that's the norm. And the heart led leaders that I interviewed for the books that I've written, and the leaders that I've met that mentored me that helped shape Tommy Spaulding's heart, I'll tell you, they're much different. Because the more success they've had, I mean, unprecedented success, I'm not just talking about financial success, every type of success, the more success they had, the more deeply humbling they've become. Hmm. And when you have that magic secret sauce together, that's when you really truly can live a life of love and service towards others. Hmm.
0: So you're talking about humility, Tommy, and, and the ego. And my belief about the ego is the ego is a cover-up. The ego is the cover-up for that question of whether I'm good enough, whether I'm worthy enough, whether I belong here, whether I really have what it takes. And if I have doubts about that, my ego steps up to assure me and it shows up in feigned confidence. I'm the, I'm the guy, I'm, the fr- I'm out in front. I got the recognition. What has been your experience of the people you work with about what's underlying their ego?
3: Well, it's insecurity. I mean, that's just the bottom line is that behind every ego is, is insecurity. And we all have insecurities. I mean, I have them. Um, I'm still insecure about my academic background and, you know, graduating college at the 2.0 in high school. You know, Jeff, you know the story. I applied to 37 law schools. I wanted to be a lawyer when I was a kid, 37 of them. And I got 37 rejections. Every one of them rejected me. And so there's a lot of insecurities that I have. You know, I'm probably 15 pounds overweight. And, um, you know, I, I can't read in public. Like if somebody asks me to read something, I can speak from my heart, but I can't read very well because of my dyslexia. So there's all kinds of insecurities that I have, but I think heart-led leaders, what they have differently is they know that every human being has an ego, but heart-led leaders, they, what, they, what they do is they know, they know their strengths and they know their weaknesses, and they accept their strengths and accept their weaknesses. So when they go into a position of leadership, they know who they are. They're not threatened by surrounding themselves with really smart people, because they know their strengths and weaknesses. And that's, you know, rule number one for leaders. If you want to be a leader, know yourself. Yeah. Do the self-reflection of knowing who you are and know your strengths, know your weaknesses, and know your trigger points, and, and not, not be threatened by surrounding yourself with great people that help you become better.
0: Well, that's the foundation. One of the foundations of Carnivere is about personal growth. And I told Craig this story. It's disheartening to me because Similar to the servant leader discussion, I was at a conference about six weeks ago before all of this, probably my last speaking engagement, and they had a panel of successful leaders, six of them, and one of their questions is, was, what are you working on this year in terms of your personal growth? Not one of them had an answer. Three didn't even answer the question. One lectured the audience on the importance of personal growth. That was their answer. One person said they had just joined TikTok and didn't know what it was, and someone else said they were playing adult lacrosse, and they were working on getting better at face-offs. And I heard that, and I turned to the table and said, am I the only one that just heard that? And they said, no, not one of them said they were working on anything. Wow. So I think there's a huge blind spot there of people yeah. thinking they're, they're into personal growth, but they're not really doing anything about it. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. So, when you look at personal growth, I mean, how do you look at it for yourself? What does that mean to you?
3: My wife would tell me that I have a lot of strengths and a lot of weaknesses. But one of the things that she always loves to share about me, which has been beautiful to hear, is that my, her favorite quality in me is that I, I'm always striving to become a better man, hmm. be a better husband, and a better father, and a better leader. And I think when you go through life, always wanting to learn, always knowing that someone can do it better and to surround yourself with great people. Uh, For me, I I don't do well with reading books. I try my best and I I get through them, but I just love the human connection. Hmm. So I have like a a board of directors of, you know, a board of governors, a kitchen cabinet, whatever you want to call (laughs) it, just people that are in my life that are amazing. I got this guy named Terry Adams. That's unbelievable father and husband. I mean, his kids just love him. The kids are all out of the house, and I, one of them's married, and 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 I just watched how their children love hanging out with Terry and Lindsay, and they're just great, great marriage. So I asked Terry and to help mentor me. Got a great, got a friend that's great in the exercise, named Adam Baca. He's just thirty year old guy that's got abs ripped, and I want to, I want to, I want abs like that. Can he help me? You know, I got a guy that's just really deep in the Word of the Lord, and you know, I'm I'm strong Catholic and have a great relationship with Christ, and. I have a mentor named Jerry Middle that's really helping me become further in my faith. I got a guy that's great in finances and I mentors me and my investments. And so you got to surround yourself with people that, that want to make you better.
2: Yeah. I
3: mean, and even your faults, like, for example, if Jill would say, Tommy, one thing I don't like about Tommy is when I married him, he was goofy. He used to run around, <laughs> with my, you know, panties on my head and I, 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 my kids actually were young, so I, I wouldn't get arrested for this, but I would take all my clothes off when my kids were tiny little kids and I'd run through the house and, I, and, and it was called Naked Man. And I'd go, Naked Man! <laughs> and I would just like randomly run across the house with mommy's panties on my head and I'd run naked. And the kids just loved me. <laughs> and, and I can't do that anymore because I have a 20-year-old stepson and a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old. I, I'd get arrested for social services. But, but my wife misses Naked Man. And I'm, I'm I'm not actually being, um, I'm actually being serious. She misses the laughter, the Mm. joy, the goofiness. And uh, what happens is when you, you know, travel a couple hundred cities a year and you're always on, you're performing, you're speaking, you're in book signings, you start taking yourself way too seriously. You get home, you're way too busy. You got employees, you know, you got responsibilities and the joy and the goofiness goes away. And so she said, in our last marriage retreat that I would try to do every year. She said, I, I miss Tommy. That's goofy and funny. And, I, and I'd love to get that back. And so the first thing I think thought of was my buddy, Mark Honan, who runs John Deere for Colorado. And he's the successful CEO, of the huge successful business. But then he also is goofy and funny. And so I literally called him up and said, Mark, can you mentor me? How do you take your business seriously? But yet you're, you're always goofy and fun. And so I'm always inviting people in my life to help me with my weaknesses. Hmm. And I, I don't think a lot of leaders do that. That is so refreshing.
0: Well, I have certainly witnessed firsthand. One of the gifts <laughs> I've got from my friendship with Tommy is being invited to be part of his retreat and meeting hmm. some of these people in his life. And one thing I can say unequivocally is, you know, you attract, you attract people in your life. Hmm. And going to those gatherings every year, everyone at the table, comes with a servant's heart, you know, loving their heart, a giving mindset. I've met Jerry several times, who Tommy was just talking about, and you know, one of the most giving people I've ever met. You know, I would met him a couple times, and about two years ago, he gave, Jerry gave me a gift. Of, I was sitting at the table, and I told him, um, I was, you know, about a trip with my dad, on my annual trip, and Jerry's an expert fly fisherman, and I said, yeah, my dad hasn't fly fished in like 20 years. I'm not sure he can do it anymore because of his, you know, where he's at physically and things like that. And Jerry said, oh, I, we, I got this covered. You haven't come out to my house. You guys can stay at my house on the river out in Colorado and, and he'll catch some fish <laughs> like that. And I looked at him and I said, seriously, he goes, yeah, let's get out our calendars. When are you coming? And Three weeks later, my dad and I were standing outside Jerry's home. Wow. That's the norm the people in Jeremy, in tommy's life that's the norm mm. and i believe that's you know tommy has attracted them and he's also you know iron sharpens iron right that's one of my favorite yeah. the Proverbs 17 mm. yeah that's yeah. The, that's it and that's my philosophy and i know it's tommy and i know that's one of the reasons we bonded so quickly mm.
1: let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors the Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cardavera. Cardevera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cardavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cardavera.com
0: welcome back. The other thing I know we bonded over, I really want to talk about because it's a word that I think is really confusing in the business world, but it's so essential and that's vulnerability. I've seen so many people don't want to talk about it or they hear it and sort of they go, that's that soft stuff. (laughs) But I know Tommy and I, our connection came about because of vulnerability. You know, The vulnerability of me taking the risk to reach out to him to show up at the event and I remember our first coffee right down the road from his house in Colorado, reaching out and say, Hey, can we have coffee? And we sat for about an hour and a half and just shared our hearts. And I remember Tommy at the end saying, Wow, I I just told you some things that my wife doesn't know yet. <laughs> How did that happen? But I think that we're both coming from a vulnerable place. So talk yeah, about yeah. vulnerability yeah. and leadership. Yeah.
3: This is this is the biggest conundrum of, of leadership in the twenty first century is that leaders have to realize that how we look at vulnerability has changed over the last 100 years. For example, we used to think the world was flat. And now we laugh at that. I think there's moms that actually smoked cigarettes in the 50s and 60s when they were pregnant. Now you just don't do that. I mean, there's things that we used to look at in the past that are totally, you know, back-ass different in today's world. And I absolutely think that you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years from now, we're going to look back at leadership and realize, you know, back in the command and control days, (laughs) back in the the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 100s, 2000s, when leaders knew all the answers and they were never vulnerable, they never cry, leaders were strong, and now they're dinosaurs. I mean, we don't even know who they are because the greatest leaders are the ones that could be vulnerable. So let's start with vulnerability. Vulnerability is not sharing all about your affairs and tax evasions and illegal actions of your life that's not vulnerability vulnerability is when you share people your story and you will never build an authentic genuine lifelong friendship customer client employee unless you know their story and people aren't going to share their story until you share your story vulnerability is one of the only leadership traits that's contagious. If you're <laughs> vulnerable, they're vulnerable. And if we have time, I'd love to share one story where I really learned how important this is, is a woman named Jody Rolland. I wrote about her in The Heartland Leader and I, I got permission to tell her story. But her story is unbelievable. She was one of the, if not the, the highest level female in all of Bank of America and Merrill Lynch. I mean, she was really in charge of the merger between the two. I mean, she, she had tens of thousands of people reporting to her. probably the highest level female in the financial services business. And I really owe a lot of my career to her because she was the first one to really buy my book, It's Not Just Who You Know, and got thousands of copies distributed throughout Merrill Lynch and spoke at her conferences and coached her and her team. And I got to know her. And one day I went to her and I was reading a marriage book. There's a marriage book out there. I think it's the best marriage book ever written called Love and Respect. And the book is really about how marriages fail because there's a love and respect cycle that never gets hit. For example, men want to feel respected, and a woman, a wife, wants to feel loved. That's the core deep thing that men and women want in marriage. Men want to be respected, women want to be loved. But a woman is never really going to respect her man until she feels loved. And a man is never really going to love her, his woman until he feels respected. So it's this big old cycle that's never happening. That's why we're all getting divorced and in therapy, right? So I was reading this marriage book because I'm always trying to improve my marriage with Jill. And I went to Jody. We were having dinner with our spouses. And I, we, after a few glasses of, or sorry, a few bottles of wine, um, <laughs> we started talking about leadership. And I said, Jody, I'm reading this book. I'm just curious. Do you think your people at Merrill Lynch at Bank of America, the tens of thousands of people that report to you, do you think they love you or do you think they respect you? I mean, can, you, can we take these marriage concepts of love and respect and put them in the workforce? And she said to me, well, what do you think, Tommy? You know all my people. You've spoken to my team. You coach half of my team. And what do you think? I said, well, I don't think you're going to like the answer.
2: <laughs>
3: and she said, well, tell me. And I said, well, I think your people respect the hell out of you. I mean, you're brilliant, Jody. One of the smartest people I've ever met. I've seen you speak to your people. I mean, you have a vision for Bank of America, for Merrill Lynch, and you're incredibly smart. But I don't think your people love you. And she got pissed. I mean, she was angry. She got feisty. She goes, what are you talking about? I said, Jody, I've known you now for five years. You have the most unbelievable story. I mean, what you overcame in your life that you shared with me. I've never seen you share with your people, your direct reports, your senior leadership team, anybody. And she said to me, no, I would never share that with anybody. I said, why? When people see you as human, they'll start to love you. She said, if I share this stuff, people won't respect me. People don't cry and be vulnerable in the, in the banking business. I said, you're just dead wrong. I challenged Jody. Next time you get in front of the, your people at your, at your national conference for Merrill Lynch, I want you to tell your story. The story of wow. me. And, and she took my challenge. And this was years ago. I wrote this whole story in The Heart of Leader. It's probably one of the greatest stories of vulnerability. Mm. And this woman gets up that's one of the senior managing directors of all of Merrill Lynch. I mean, she is one of the most respected women in the industry. And she'd eat you for freaking lunch. She's so tough and smart. And she gets up on stage. Instead of sharing a vision for Bank of America and Merrill Lynch and the merger, instead of doing spreadsheets of acquisitions and financial projections, she says, if we want to earn the trust of our customers and Merrill Lynch and our clients, we have to learn their story. And for mm. us to learn the story of our clients, we have to share ours. And so if it's okay, I'd like to share mine. Wow. And ah. it was, there was thousands of people in the room and I'm in the back of the room and I'm crying. I'm, I'm gonna cry even telling her story because she gets uh. up and she talks about never knowing her father, that her father was an alcoholic. Mm. And what it was it like growing up not having a father figure and, and being raised by a single mother? And then she talked about you know, being the youngest of the children and she was raised in a single mom home and, and she asked a question to thousands of people. Anyone raised by a single mom? Hundreds of people raised their hand. You can start seeing the love in the room for their leader because mm. they're starting to be human. I didn't know Jody had a single wow. mom. Then she talked about being a little girl and having nightmares when she was five, six years old, seven years old. She would sleep with her mom because she had these nightmares. And one day when she woke up at seven years old, and she went to wake her mama and her mom didn't wake up she had a massive heart attack in her it's oh. a so picture being a seven-year-old girl no father mother's dead and finding her mother dead and what that did for her mm. and she talks about you know just trying to get through life and just you know get care and going to community college and her first job i mean she just opened up in a way where you can hear a freaking pin drop in the room mm. i mean thousands of people just crying and then she asked a question, anyone ever miscarriage? You know, when Rob and I tried to get pregnant, we couldn't get pregnant. Anyone ever miscarriage? Hundreds of people raised their hand. I raised my hand. My wife had a miscarriage in her first marriage, right? Mm. And I know how painful that could be for women. And she said, well, we didn't just have one miscarriage or two or three or four or five or six. We had seven miscarriages before we had keep. Mm. And I just watched this woman share her heart it, within seconds, her people started to love her, started to see her as human, and they worked twice as hard for her, and they had unbelievable results because they had a leader that was real. And if I, I could share that story a million times and people still don't get it, they're, they're afraid to share their story. I was afraid for years never to tell people that I was dyslexic. Matter of fact, when my first book came out 10 years ago, Jeff, Craig. And I tell the story about me graduating the bottom of my class and 2.0 GPA, and I was totally dyslexic and 37 law school applications, all rejected. My whole story of, of overcoming learning dis- disability. My high school friends, my best friends from high school, go, I had no idea that you were that dumb. I had no idea that you didn't yell out of school. Like, you really hit it. Of course I hit it. It was a mask, as in your first book, Jeff. I had a mask over it because I was ashamed and I was... I felt shame that I don't want people to think I was stupid. And so I never talked about my dyslexia ever. Every speech that I give today, of a fortune 500 companies, tens of thousands of people, I get up on stage and I hold 37 law school rejection letters and say, this is the best thing that's ever happened. So they taught me how to overcome obstacles, they taught me how to be humble. I talk, my, I talk about my learning challenges, my dyslexia, I talk about my reading disability and it makes me human. It makes me real. And I, I realized that leaders, until they understand that vulnerability is the key to building trust, that you'll never have trust on a team until you're, you're you know, you're vulnerable.
0: That's uh, so, so good and so true. I'm, we had a, a speaker on last week, your paths may cross, Tom. His name is Larry English. He's a president of a company called Centric Consulting, started sort of some buddies that's in the IT business management field. They got over a thousand people. They have an amazing culture. And he was talking about vulnerability and his phrase was, he said, vulnerability is the shortcut to trust because it's, it's what you, and you gotta go first. You've gotta go first. And it's interesting cause Craig and I have talked about this. So many leaders have this mindset of, no, we've got work and we got personal and we need to keep them separate. Yeah. And I think that's just wrong. I mean, you can't separate them. To me, it separates us to say your personal life doesn't exist, therefore you don't exist. You're a cog in our wheel, yeah. you know, come in and play a role, and then yeah. go home and do your life. And that to me is like, it's insulting. You're yeah. really saying, I'm going to choose not to see you. Yeah. And vulnerability yeah. is saying, I'm going to let you see me so that maybe you'll let me see you when you're ready. Yeah.
3: Well, I know there's probably people listening on the podcast that are critics. And I know that there's probably some left brain people that are listening and that's okay. I respect <laughs> left brain people and left brain people really are saying, does this really work in business or is this just touchy feely stuff in marriage counseling? And I'm telling the left brain people that if you bring this type of servant leadership to your organization and you literally get down and wash the feet of your people, like you really serve your people and you, and you put in you check your ego at the door and you, get to know the stories of your people and share your story and be vulnerable and real and authentic, you will have unprecedented results. <laughs> and that's what people don't understand about servant leadership. They just hear one side of the story. Servant leadership, oh yeah, Jesus talked about that 20 years, 2,000 years ago. Oh, servant leadership, that's good for HR, that's good for you know, people development, <laughs> that's good for culture, you know, that's good for camaraderie, that's good for maybe low retention of employees you know quitting. You know, it's good for all these things, but does it really help the bottom line? And that's why I wrote The Heart Led Leader. I mean, people that read the book, it's the first leadership book I, I have ever come across that connected leadership, heart led leadership, like servant leadership, with results. Hmm. That's what heart leadership is. If you build a culture of servant leadership, you'll have unprecedented financial results. And if not financial, it can define results any way you, way you want to define results, but mm-hmm you'll have great results. So the left-brained people that are listening, if you change your heart and decide to become a servant leader, your organizations have unprecedented results. One caveat, left brain people, one caveat, you can't fake it.
2: If
3: right. it's not authentic, it's gonna backfire. Servant leadership, blessing people, serving people, being vulnerable, being real, all the things that Jeff and I and Craig talked about today, if you try to fake it, uh, you won't make it. It has to come from authentic, genuine place. And if you do that, amazing things will happen.
1: So it's interesting, you know, if you can't fake it, how does somebody move from that place of I'm going to think about me and I'm going to think about bottom line results of, you know, financial things versus, (sighs) hey, I need to start shifting to really getting to know my people and having them know who I am and where I'm coming
3: from. All right. Well, here's the first thing we can talk about. I know Jeff wants some little takeaways, some accidental <laughs> I, I answers. Am, I am not a tattoo person. And I wrote a whole chapter in my book about my tattooed nanny. And I'm not against tattoos. I think they're beautiful. I'm just a wuss. I, I can't, I, I can't <laughs> stand needles, right? But if I was going to get a tattoo, I would get uh, two tattoos, I would get the, you know, the New York Yankees logo right here because I'm a huge Yankee fan. <laughs> and on the other side of my arm, I would tattoo these four words on my arm. It's not about you. Mm. I have That's shared a- those four words with, more, with millions of people. Every high school graduation, college graduation, keynote speech, every time I talk, I'm always talking about those four words that you have to tattoo in your heart. Mm. Every morning you wake up, you gotta tattoo your arm, look at your arm and say, It's not about you to remind yourself that going to work every day, it's about your employees. It's about your customers. It's about your clients. It's about your vendors. It's about your constituents. It's not about you, but we as human beings live a life where it's all about us. And if you can flip the switch and literally tattoo yourself and write it down and just have sticky notes anywhere, it ingrains in you. My kids, I go, Hey, Caroline, Kate, What's the four words of leadership? It's not about you, dad. It's not about you. I mean, it's just great. In my kids <laughs> and ask my employees, ask anyone that works with me. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. And that's the step that you have to take because when you wake up, it's all about you. Mm-hmm. you know, and, and you have to shift that and say, no, what am I going to do today to live a life that's different? That's uncommon. That's that bottom 10% of the people that are heart led leaders. It's a choice to live that way. If you don't make that choice, you're just gonna fall in the bucket of the other 90% of self-serving leaders. There's nothing wrong with them. They could be successful, but they're not gonna have the joy and the happiness and success of life that the other yeah. 10% really have.
1: Would you say that engagement comes from that authenticity and that
3: servant leadership? You know, I just think engagement is one of those bullshit corporate words. That <laughs> I never really understood. Uh, here's the words i understand humility love authenticity transparency being real you can be those five things to your people they're going to serve you well because Mm -hmm. they want to serve someone with a humble genuine heart they want to serve someone that's authentic they want to serve someone that's vulnerable because they know their story and they feel safe to share theirs they want to serve someone that's, that's real those are the qualities that i know about so uh, engagement that's just one of those corporate bullshit words that people try to you know make money off of I don't know what engagement is what's engagement when you ask someone to marry you it's engagement I guess <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's a different take on it Tommy <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: and, see, and I was worried that you wouldn't be direct Tommy yeah I knew you would be you thank you thank you for being you yes. not just for being you today but who you are in the world mm. Because I know the way you bless others. I know the way you've blessed me. And because one of the things I know that you do so well is you see others and you share with others what you see. Hmm. And I think that's something you and I share. But I yeah, know over absolutely. time it's not just the phone calls. There's, there's probably two or three conversations you and I have had the last six years that I won't ever forget because there were moments of you – helping me to see parts of me that I wasn't ready to see yet or couldn't see them fully yet or there was something in the way, those are gifts that cannot be replicated and they can't be faked. And I know that's what you do every day and everywhere you go. So thank you for that. I'm, I'm so grateful you were with us today. I always ask people this at the end. I'm curious, is there anything going on for you right now that you want to highlight or talk about, whether it's the Academy or something else?
3: Well, I don't want to talk about myself, but I want to talk about you, Jeff. My favorite Jeff story that I learned from you is when you shared a story about you were moving from, from Cleveland to um, you know, Ohio uh, to, to Tampa, and um, you sent it an email to you know, over a dozen friends saying, Hey guys, I'm moving and I'll buy the beer and I'll buy the pizza, but I'd love some help around the house uh, to help me pack up and, and, and move. And you know, you sent it to 12 people that you would have done the same thing for that you had a friendship with them that you thought because you would have helped them move that you've, you've invested in them. And so you thought you would, you know, have your friends help you kind of pack up the, the van and, and get you moving on your way to Tampa and your heart was broken because only one person responded that they, that they couldn't come and no one else even responded. And it really broke your heart and you kind of went in a little funk and I called you and you, you shared me that story and I, and, I, and I thought about it and I called you back and I remember telling you that, that that's just normal, that you, 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 you just live a life so much, Jeff, that you're such a giver, yes. that not, every, not everyone's like that. and. You, you can't be let down I mean, um, because not everyone's built like Jeff Nietzsche, which is hard. Yeah. And I know that if I was moving, not only would you come to my house and pack my belongings, but you would offer the drive from Cleveland to Tampa with me in the van. <laughs> yeah. right? That's just who you are. And when I first heard that story, it made me think that that's, that's, that's where we, we all have growth to do mm. is when people reach out and ask to help you move. You know, just ping him back and say, hey, love to, or hey, I can't. Or hey, you know what? I'm working a thousand hours a week and this Saturday I'm hanging out with my daughter. Just just respond. Yeah. But that 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 story really moved my heart and it really motivated me because I never ever want to be one of those twelve people mm-hmm. that doesn't respond to a good friend. And Jeff Nietzsche what's your good friend. Yes.
0: Thank you, Tommy Thank you. Well, at the risk of trying to put uh, ice cream on the (laughs) pecan pie, but I like, I have fun with these. I want to ask you the couple questions I've chosen to ask you here at the end. Sure. The first one is I want you to envision there's somebody maybe you've thought of, maybe you haven't before. You get a, there's somebody living you get a chance to meet. we have thought about meeting. Who's that person and what's the one question you would ask them?
3: Well, I'm reading Killing Lincoln now. One of the things that I decided to do was I reached out to you, Jeff, and I uh, just a couple of days ago, and I, I started getting into the killing books. I just finished killing Reagan. I want to do the whole killing series. I, I just love the history. That's where Jeff and I both love history. But I'd love to meet Abraham Lincoln
2: because
3: mm. that guy, he just put everything on the line. And I, if you saw America today where we are
2: mm.
3: with politics, with our economy, just, just with life in general, the selfishness that we have. I wanted to ask him if he thought that it was all worth the risk back in 1865, you know, the whole Hmm. civil war and, you know, unifying the Confederates in the union. Was it, was it worth it? Was it worth being shot in the back of the head? Um, for this, I hope the answer is yes. And the America that I believe in is a yes. Yeah. But, um, I have a lot of hope that we could become better Americans by become better leaders. And, um, starts there it was an honor to be on your your show and to answer your question To get people want to get a hold of me it's tommyspaulding.com and there's a u in the last name tommyspaulding with the u -U s-p-a-u-l-d-i-n-g.com awesome
1: thank you tommy yes thank you for being here and sharing from the depths my honor If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartevera Tribe. The Cartevera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartevera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartevera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to Cartevera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah.